In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. First Sunday of Lent is always a fun, uplifting Sunday. We get to talk about sin. Now, we did have a class on sin in seminary, and I always wanted to know if there was a lab. I thought I'd get an A in the lab, and I've told people, hey, you know, come and hear me this Sunday. I'm an expert on sin. It's not a subject that we talk about very much or that we, we think about or raise our level of awareness. And I had my sermon kind of all set in my head, and then I came home on Friday, and my husband said, did you hear about the earthquake in Japan? So we went up and we began watching some of the video, and it was just horrific. The devastation, the tsunami, the, the pictures of the shaking. It, it's just, all of a sudden, it kind of takes all of your theology away, and you think, well, well, where is God in that? So I kind of had to sit down and start over. And the first thing I thought about is that people call these occurrences an act of God. Now, when we were in Hawaii and there was all this snow supposedly coming that Wednesday, remember, where we were all running, people were running to Wegmans to get provisions because we were going to be snowed in forever and ever. And luckily, we were in Hawaii and got stuck, and they canceled the flight to Newark. So people were milling around. This one young girl said, well, are you going to give me a voucher for a hotel? And the, the, the agent said, oh, no, this was an act of God. Now, if it's a mechanical failure and the airline's fault, then you get a voucher. But if God decides that there's going to be snow in Newark, there is no voucher. So I think God gets a real bad rap in all of this. It's not like God is thinking, well, you know, let's send a wave of water at 500 miles an hour and just crush the coasts of Japan. I mean, all of us who took earth science in eighth grade or whatever it was know that there's Teutonic plates underneath the crust of the earth that are moving and shifting, and there's been quakes around the entire Pacific Rim. My theology is not that God is causing this to happen. This seems to be on this planet where we live, and these are some of the things that we have to focus and deal with. Where God is in this is what happens now in Japan in terms of the rebuilding, in terms of our prayer for the people to have the strength and courage to continue in spite the loss of loved ones and property and the suffering and their lack of light and electricity and heat. That's where God is in this. But it also makes me think about power and control. Because what sin is really about is our ideas of power and control. Most of us live in that illusion that we have control. And the better our lives are, the less that's going wrong in our life at the moment, we feel like we are in control. And to some degree, we do have control. For example, when we get in a car, we have control over how careful we are, how fast we go, where we go, the decisions we make when we turn in front of someone, the judgment that we use. But what we don't have control over are the other people on the road, people who may be inexperienced drivers, people who may be driving drunk, people who are in a car that maybe shouldn't be in a car. So we learn to drive defensively, which makes us think we still have control. But then we may hit a patch of ice that we didn't see, and suddenly the car is spinning out of control, and it was something that 
we couldn't have foreseen or done anything about. And in a second, we realize how little control we actually have. The power piece comes down to this illusion of control that we have. And the more power we have and the more status we have in our culture kind of gives us that even greater illusion of what sort of control we have over life around us. But we have all had experiences of things that happened to us that we have not been in control of. And we don't like, most of us don't like that feeling of being out of control. We want to be able to do something. We want to be able to affect things going on around us. The Christian faith tells us that we don't have control, that it's really God who has control, but the problem with that is then why does God let an earthquake happen to Japan? These are things we, we have to wrestle with. And again, I think it's geology, but then I'm thinking, well, okay, God, if you're all powerful, all knowing, and all good, hello, let's work on these plates. You know, we don't want that to happen, but that is, an, is in fact what happens. So in Lent, we have to think about, okay, what are our issues with power and control? You know, where, where are we in those, that, that piece? How do we think of ourselves in terms of power and control? Because we all have power. To a degree, we all have power, and we can decide, we have control over how we use that power. Most of the time, we have the power to choose how we react to something. And, and where God is, at least in the earthquake for me, is how the world chooses to react. How we've chosen to react to Haiti. How we've chosen to react to uh, Christ Church New Zealand. How we continue to choose to react in the world. Are we working for peace? Are we helping those who are suffering? Are we doing that right here? You know, I was talking to our son who's overseas and deployed at the moment about the earthquake. Of course, he's over fighting in some country somewhere where we don't really know. And he said, wow, he says, I don't know if they're going to send a lot of troops there. He says, my concern is there's so much suffering and poverty and things going on back in the U.S. And we do have a lot of people deployed throughout the world. So even a 22-year-old soldier struggles with these things. So our job during Lent is to reflect on this and think about it. And think about how does this affect me as an individual? How does this affect me as a parishioner at St. Peter's? How does this affect me as a Christian? How does this affect me as a citizen of the United States? How am I going to act both individually and communally? We were watching a movie about uh, these two men who were Polish Jews in World War II, and they hid about 1,200 people in the forest from the Germans, and they survived through the war. And it, the movie's called Defiance, and it was an incredible story of their journey of survival uh, in, in the midst of this, and how they kept gathering more and more people. And the problem, the ethical problem for the two brothers who were leading this was, how can we accept more people? We don't have enough food to feed the people we have. And at one point, one, one, the brother who's the leader acquires a horse and eventually kills the horse to feed the ever-growing crowd of people. But they had to set up a little 
system in this town that they built in the middle of the forest to protect themselves and they had men going out gathering food and stealing food from farmers and doing these risky missions to feed the people that they were collecting. And one of the men who was going out on these food missions decided that the men going out on these missions should have better food than the rest of the town. And so he arranged, they, there's this scene where the leader of the town is, he's, he's sick, he's coughing, he's, he's stuck in this little log cabin and, and this guy is standing there with a bunch of these men who have gone on these food missions eating this wonderful meal while there's men, women, and children surrounding them, looking at them, watching them eat. Because he had decided that these men deserved more food. But the rule had been everyone gets the same amount. So some little boy goes and gets the guy out of his sick bed and he comes and they have this confrontation and the leader says, no, we all get the same amount. That's a good use of power, where the other man had used power to save what was good for himself and his cronies. In the gospel, Jesus is tempted by the devil. He turned these stones into bread. Now, if you've been to Israel, they are stones everywhere, everywhere. And he says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. So he's challenging Jesus' status as the Son of God and Jesus' allegiance. Are you going to be aligned with your own needs, or are you going to be aligned with God's desires? And Jesus refused to turn the stones into bread. But later on in the Gospel, we hear about Jesus taking uh, two loaves and five fish and feeding 5,000. So Jesus doesn't use his power to show pridefully that he can do this, or to satisfy his own deep hunger, physical hunger, he does it to feed others. Throw yourself down and the angels will catch you. It's like, well, those of us in situations where we have people who may work for us, where we could be tempted to take advantage because we know they need to respond because they're worried about losing their job or whatever's going on, that we can take advantage of our authority over them. But Jesus says, no, he's not going to do that. But the angels come and attend to him at the end of this gospel. Or, let me give you power over all the world. Jesus was not about power over all the world, oppressive power. Jesus was about the power of love, which brings people up, raises them up. Lent is a time for us to think about what are our thoughts about power and control? There aren't easy answers to any of this, but in this faith tradition, which is maybe why we don't have 600 people in here, we struggle with this stuff. We're not up here giving answers. We're, we're trying to figure out what our theology is and where God is in all of this. And in Lent, it's our time to reflect on our own sinfulness. We were at, the clergy did a retreat at um, Notre Dame in Canandaigua, and they had seven gargoyles of the seven deadly sins uh, to, right at the entrance of the chapel, and they, they were pretty funny looking. The gluttonous guy had a big tongue hanging out of his mouth, and you know, there's pride, envy, gluttony, avarice. I can't name them all. I can't remember them all. I'm sure I've committed them all, but I can't, can't remember them all. So for me, sinfulness is about power and control. 
And in Lent, it's time to raise our level of awareness about how we use our power and what we're trying to control. Are we controlling what we should control, or are we trying to control things we should not control? So let me give you some practical hints if you feel yourself becoming aware of your own sinfulness. First step is to be aware when you begin to have a sinful thought. You know, I've had moments where I've made a joke and used someone else, and knowing after I've done it that that's wrong. So then I try to raise my level of awareness that the only people you can joke about is yourself. This is why you rarely hear about my kids or my husband in my sermons anymore. So they've helped me understand that. So first thing is raise your own level of awareness about where, where, are, where am I sinful? The second thing is when a thought comes into your head that starts you down that road of committing a sin, you cannot help the thought that comes in your head. And I've talked about this before. It's like a bird that flies into a tree. What we can control, we can't control the sinful thought that comes into our head. All right. What we can control is if we entertain the thought. If we allow that thought, if you think of it as a bird, to make a nest in our head. So if we open the door to that thought and invite it in and start entertaining it and thinking about it and fantasizing about it and going down the road in our head about what we might do, like if we're really angry at somebody and we're plotting our revenge and we're enjoying thinking about that and it's kind of fueling our anger and we're we're really into the drama of it, that's entertaining a thought. Then, if we entertain the thought, then we do the sinful action, then we, then we have a problem. So in Lent, we raise our level of awareness about those kinds of thoughts, and when they come into our head, we pray. We pray like we're drowning. And then we can get the help that we need from the grace of God so that we don't sin. But when we do sin, which we will sin, and we do, we know that God will forgive us. And that is the good news today, because Jesus had a firm allegiance to God, not to the devil, but to God. And therefore, we can pray to Jesus, and Jesus has assured us of God's forgiveness, because we are all God's beloved children. So instead of feeling worthless or upset or guilty or I can't believe I did that again, the first thought we should have there is we're God's beloved and God will help us and never desert us.